Hello, everybody. It has been a while since I've been on my podcast. Welcome back. I am starting season two. I took the summer off. I had some chronic illness flare up. And I'm going to get back into it around the time of the election, talking about Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal. Why am I going to talk about this book? Because you will clearly see um, after I start talking about it, how relevant it is to your children, the children I don't have, the your children's children, substance use, mental health. It, it really touches on everything in our uh, culture and provides solutions. So I'm actually going to go through the book because I feel like it should be required reading for every adult in our country. And if for those of you listening internationally, I'm in the United States, I'm going to get started with talking about the introduction. So Gabor Mate has written some books before. Um, he wrote The Realm of the Hungry Ghost, which was about substance use. He's written a book about ADHD. He's written a book about chronic illness. He is actually a doctor uh, based in Vancouver, and he really is a key player in changing the landscape of how we look at trauma how we talk about trauma, how we talk talk about illness. And the man is so deeply compassionate. Um, he talks about his own life experience. And so I respect him for many reasons. He has many followers and I highly recommend looking into his work a little bit more. So what he says is um, chronic illness, mental or physical, is to a large extent a function or feature of the way things are and not a glitch they are a consequence of how we live, not some mysterious aberration. He then goes on to talk about toxic culture and it's how it's even more broad and more deeply rooted. He says the entire context of social structures, belief systems, assumptions, and values that surround us and necessarily pervade every aspect of our lives are currently toxic. Think about this. Our social structures are toxic. Our belief systems are toxic. Our assumptions are toxic. And our values that we've chosen to believe in are toxic. That does not mean we are toxic people. But he is he is pointing us towards the invitation to look at what we have armed ourselves with and what we have surrounded ourselves with. And he really dives into why that might not be where we need to point our attention. He thinks this is urgent. He I, he says, I see it as the most important and consequential health concern of our time, driven by the effects of the burgeoning stress, inequality, and climate catastrophe, to name a few salient factors. Our concept of well-being must move from the individual to the global in every sense of the word. Now, this is really important because we are in a country that values rugged individualism. And while that is all fine and, and John Wayne-ish and, you know, a conquering mentality, it really does us a disservice in many ways, in which he talks about in the book. It is my contention, he says, that my by its very nature, our social and economic culture generates chronic stressors that undermine well-being in the most serious of ways, as they have done with increasing force over the past several decades. So again, he is raising an alarm because he wants us to pay attention. He is not suggesting that, you know, we are um, far from hopeless. In fact, the book is about hope. 
Um, he says that the culture has become contaminated, um, or maybe it was the wrong mixture in the first place. Or worse, is it dangerous to our existence? He then says, from a wellness perspective, it induces countless humans to suffer illness born of stress, ignorance, inequality, environmental degradation, climate change, poverty, and social isolation. It allows millions to die prematurely of diseases we know how to prevent or of deprivations we have more than enough resources to eliminate. Just think about how much food a restaurant throws away each day. We have hungry people in this country. They're not throwing it away because we have an abundance of food. There are different things affecting that choice to throw that food away at the end of the day. And there are very... uh there's more than enough resources to accommodate us all. He says in the United States, the richest country in history and the epicenter of the globalized economic system, 60% of adults have a chronic disorder such as high blood pressure or diabetes and over 40% have two or more conditions. Nearly 70% of Americans are on at least one prescription drug. More than half take two. Okay, I'm going to read those again because these are really important. 60% of adults in our country have a chronic disorder. Was that the case 60 years ago? Now, we could argue we didn't diagnose as much back then. But do, was it the case 60 years ago that 60% of adults have a chronic disorder and 40% have two or more conditions? That, that was not the case. Nor was it the case that 70% of Americans were on a prescription medication. Do we value medication? Yes. Should we value medication? Yes. Do I have a concern when 70% of adults are taking a medication because they have a chronic illness? Uh, you better bet your butt I do. I have a real concern that we are medicating external and structural factors. So he goes on to say, um, in Canada, Australia, and notably the U.S., where over 30% of the adult population met the criteria for MS, um, 38 Mexicans are di diagnosed with diabetes every hour. So I'm paraphrasing and jumping around. I apologize. 38 Mexicans are diagnosed with diabetes every hour. Was that the case 60 years ago? No, it was not. China has entered the era of obesity. In Canada, depression and anxiety are the fastest growing diagnosis. In 2019, more than 50 million Americans, over 20% of the U.S. adults, suffered an episode of mental illness. That is not because we are pathological. Millions of North American children and youth are being medicated with stimulants, antidepressants, and even antipsychotic drugs who lose long-term effects, excuse me, whose long-term effects on the developing brain are yet to be established. A perilous social experiment in the chemical control of young people's brains and behavior. Child suicide attempts are skyrocketing in the U.S. and nobody knows why. Listen, I'm a social worker. I'm going to tell you exactly why, but you might not want to hear what I have to say. So I'm reading Gabor Mate's book. Millions of North American children are medicated 
Now, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, whether you think that we should talk about books or not in school, whether you think we should be vaccinated or not in school. My personal opinions don't matter. But when millions of children are being medicated to tolerate their existence, I have a real problem with figuring out how that's going to lead to our evolution. And I hope you do too. I hope this raises the alarm. Children's suicide are skyrocketing and nobody knows why. Could it be that children have a lot of stressors? Let's read on. So distress um, about climate change, of all things, is associated with young people perceiving that they have no future, that humanity is doomed, along with a sense of betrayal and abandonment by governments and adults such despondence and hopelessness are chronic stressors which will have significant, long-lasting, and incremental negative implications on the mental health of children and young people. Casting ourselves as the organisms in the laboratory analogy, these and other metrics indicate unmistakably that ours is a toxic culture. Worse yet, we have become accustomed or acculturated to so much of what plagues us, it has become, for lack of a better word, normal. Folks, what is your normal? What is your normal day like? How much stress on a scale of zero to 100%, let's say, how much of your day of your 24 hours is filled with stress? How do you sleep? How, how are your bills? Can you pay your bills? Do you have food in the fridge? How are your children? Are they on the screen or are you connecting with them? How much of your day do you avoid being present? How much of your day do you avoid um, feeling vulnerable at work? How much of your day do you spend in a commute or standing in line? Or the newest rage seems to be asking us to take more and more and more and more responsibility. Are you ordering your groceries online? Are you waiting for them to be picked up? Are you running your kids to school? Are you, do they, how is their school? How are you stressing about their school? These things matter to our well-being. For better or worse, we humans have a genius for getting used to things, especially when the changes are incremental. We are incredibly adaptive people. The newfangled term to normalize refers to the mechanism by which something previously aberrant becomes enough that it passes beneath our radar. If you think we have not normalized violence, I would invite you to look at the January 6th and the BLM movements and what led to those things. Again, regardless of your politics, it's really bullying has been normalized. So I'm reading on here. Like water to fish, we it is both too vast and too near to be appreciated, these stressors. I will make the case, he says, that much of what passes for normal in our society is neither healthy nor natural, and that to meet modern society's criteria for normality is, in many ways, to conform to requirements that are profoundly abnormal in regard to the nature-given needs, which is to say unhealthy and harmful on the physiological mental, and even spiritual levels. If we could begin to see much illness itself, not as a cruel twist of fate or some nefarious mystery, but rather as an expected and therefore normal consequence of abnormal, un- 
natural circumstances. It would have revolutionary implications for how we approach everything that is health-related. The ailing bodies and minds among us would no longer be regarded as expressions of individual pathology, but as living alarms, directing our attention towards where our society has gone askew and where our prevailing certainties and assumptions around health are, in fact, fictions. Seen clearly, they might also give us clues as to what it would take to reverse course and build a healthier world. Now, if you don't want a healthier world, then stop listening. If you want a healthier world, listen on. Far more than a lack of technological acumen, sufficient funds, or new discoveries, our culture's skewed idea of normality is the single biggest impediment to fostering a healthier world. It even keeps us from acting on what we already know. The current medical paradigm is um, at double fault. It reduces complex events to their biology, and it separates mind from body. It's been doing this for 100 years concerning itself almost exclusively with one or the other without appreciating their essential unity. It does constrain what good medicine could be doing. One of the most persistent and calamitous failures handicapping our healthcare system is an ignorance in the sense of either not knowing or of actual active ignoring of what science has already established. We are not even looking at science anymore to make things normal. This leaves well-meaning healthcare providers to toil in the dark. I have violated my ethics working for other people. I have violated my values and my sense of right and wrong to assure that you have had, had some semblance of your needs met. And I have been silent and complicit in innocently harming my fellow community members Because at one point, I was taught to be the expert. This book and my podcast teaches you how to be the expert in your own life. The core of it, which accords entirely with what the science shows, is this. Health and illness are not random states in a particular body or body part. They are, in fact, an expression of an entire life lived. One that cannot, in turn, be understood in isolation. It is influenced by, or better yet, it arises from. A web of circumstance, relationships, events, and experiences. It arises from a web of circumstances, relationships, events, and experiences. We are relational people, ladies and gentlemen. We are individuals, but we do not exist in a vacuum. We exist in an environment, and it matters what that environment is teaching us. So, The problem with good news stories, as he goes on to say, you know, the occasional health win, is that it just lulls us into a false passivity. Um, The actual picture is quite different. The crux of the problem is not a dearth of facts. We have the facts. It's not a lack of technology or techniques, but it's an impoverished and out-of-date perspective that cannot account for what we are seeing. Out-of-date perspective. We are out-of-date in our systems, in our schools, in our health, in our um, work mentality in our mental health. We are out of date. It is time to update, not our knowledge base. It is time to update what we accept as normal. A new vision of normal that nurtures the best in who we are. As a species, we will not evolve unless we look at what is helping us survive and what even allows us to thrive. 
There are many, many people barely surviving today. That is not normal. We have survived centuries. And this is the first time in history where our future is actually being seriously questioned by professionals. So this book's arc follows the concentric circles of cause, connection, and consequence. Cause, connection, and consequence that influence how healthy or unhealthy we are. From the inside, at the human biology level, we are going to look at the, the brain and the body and personal development, and we are going to talk about trauma because trauma is a foundational layer of experience in our modern life. Trauma is a foundational layer of experience in our modern life, but one that is largely ignored or misapprehended. If you get itchy when I say the word trauma, I want you, I, I will invite you to listen to my reading of this book. Not every, don't worry, it's 500 pages. I'm not going to read all 500 pages, but I am going to go through it because I feel like it's very important information. If we do not look at what we're afraid to acknowledge, we just will not evolve. That's it. We, we just won't evolve. So you don't have to look at it, but it is passing you by. Hence the healing in our subtitle. Once we resolve to see clearly how things are, the process of healing, a word that at its root means returning to wholeness, can begin. That statement contains no promise of miracle cure, but simply the recognition that each of us contains as yet unimagined possibilities for wellness. Possibilities that reveal themselves only when we face and debunk the misleading myths about normality to which we have become passively accustomed. If that is true for us as individuals, it must also be true for our species. Healing is not guaranteed, but it is available. It is no exaggeration to say at this point in the Earth's history that it is also required. Stay tuned. I'm going to dig into chapter one next. I hope that you appreciate um, this look at trauma and Gabor Mate. I have developed a business entirely dedicated to trauma, and I am bringing you effective tools to heal.